Some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theater at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Exciting news. CityCast DC is hiring. Do you or someone you know have experience in sales and revenue? Are you deeply, deeply connected with the community here in DC? We are looking for a senior account executive to join our team ASAP to work on selling sponsorships for our podcast and newsletter. Check the show notes for more details and a full job description. Today on CityCast DC, it's the final day of DC Love Kit, the week where all our episodes and our Hey DC newsletter are devoted to providing you with the tools you need to find and nurture love in the district, or at least to watch people who do. Today, the tool we're sharing is best places to cry around town. Yes, it is bleak, but you need it. You know it. And before we get to that, we actually have real like news to discuss. Marissa Lang from The Washington Post and audio producer Julia Karen are here to chat with me about the plan to clear McPherson Square's encampments and the DC Council's take on the gas stove controversy. Today is Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Marissa Lang, you have been covering for The Post this plan to remove the tent encampment in McPherson Square. This news broke last week that the National Park Service had a plan to move the folks out of there. Can you walk us through how it got to this point and what is supposed to happen now? Absolutely. So the McPherson Square encampment has been growing pretty substantially over the last several months. Um, it started really when some of the other parks in the area were cleared of homeless residents, Franklin Square being one of them. Uh, and folks started to move in and set up camp in McPherson Square. And now that encampment is like 70 people big. And there were originally plans to clear the park in the fall, but the district felt it couldn't really act fast enough to get folks into services, to try to connect people with housing. So they requested to push that date back. The thing that happens over the winter when it's really cold is there's this declared hypothermia season, which means it's really cold and generally the district doesn't like to evict or displace homeless people during that time. And that mean, that, that includes from like a tent, yeah, it includes from a tent. The thinking goes that it's pretty dangerous to do it in the middle of the winter. If someone is living in a tent, obviously that's not ideal. But if they're able to sort of make do and survive and they have all their items that they need to keep warm and stay safe, moving them might mean risking them losing some of those things. So originally the plan was to postpone McPherson Square's clearing until April. But as you mentioned last week, the Washington Post, got a letter from uh, the Park Service to Deputy Mayor Wayne Turnage explaining that they were going to move that date up by two months uh, at the request of the district. Can I like just ask some some kind of wonky questions about what, what the law mandates right now? Is it legal to sleep in a tent in a park? It's not technically 
legal to sleep in certain parks that are federally operated, right? Like if you slept overnight in a tent on the National Mall, that is not allowed. And then Mm -hmm. there's some parks that are city managed. So it's kind of this very strange checkerboard uh, throughout downtown where not all laws are enforceable in all parks or all sidewalks. And then what is the district's obligation to people who don't have a place to live legally? I mean, if I show up, you know, at some organ of the city government and say, I do not have a place to live, what must they do for me? So the mayor has made ending homelessness a real hallmark of her time in office. She's run on that promise a few times. And she has had really ambitious plans to eradicate chronic homelessness from the district. And because of that, the district has really amped up a lot of its homeless services programs. We have more vouchers available to homeless residents than ever before. Um, There's been a ton of cash infusion into services for homeless folks. So it's not so much about legal obligation, but there are a lot of available services. The problem has been getting these vouchers out the door, connecting people to these services in a timely fashion and responding to some of the neediest folks who might be the folks in the street versus the people that maybe you don't see every day who are living in shelter. So then how are these people connecting them to these services? Like with McPherson Square, obviously, if you bump that date back by two months, then those services are needed like now because that date is what next Wednesday. How does that work? Yeah, that is exactly the tension that we're looking at right now. Um, It seems that there was an effort from the city to, with this expedited timeline, try to get more caseworkers out there. And, you know, they had this 32-seat bus that they borrowed from the Parks Department that they rolled up to the park to try to give people, like, an office space to work in, basically, to connect people with services, to get them enrolled in programs. But the problem is from talking to some of the residents who who live in the park, they've told me that they have not seen that urgency. They have not seen that sort of presence in the months leading up to now. So what we're seeing is the district sort of boxing itself in and having to work on this really expedited timeline. And it's not clear that they're going to be able to get any more folks into a program or into actual housing, as you point out, in the next week. So this is a thing where the politics are just kind of devilish. And you've been out talking to people. You've talked to people who have been sleeping in the square. You've talked to passersby, uh, people who work in downtown who who might otherwise be frequenting McPherson Square. There is an argument that, look, parks are for everybody. And there's a reason that you're not supposed to sleep there because it's like adverse possession and and it makes it impossible to do other things there. There's another argument that says, well, that's morally appalling. We have, um, you know, people who have to sleep somewhere. What are you hearing from people who who sort of frequent the neighborhood who are not living in the park? Yeah, I think that there is uh, a few things that you hear. First of all is, you know, as you mentioned, just it's appalling. It's um, this very clear representation of the housing crisis, the homelessness crisis in the district. I mean, this park is a block and a half away from the White House, right? So you not only have people who work in offices downtown who frequent that area, but you have a lot of tourists who walk through on their way to the White House, on their way to go see the monuments. So I think that seeing this really densely packed park full of tents, um, full of unhoused folks, it's very hard for people to see. People don't like, obviously, seeing people living in destitution. Um, And so I think that there's that element. I mean, there's also like beyond just the aesthetics of like, I don't like looking at these people. I mean, 
parks are in theory for for everyone and and so when like literally when a tent occupies that space something else isn't yeah, no, I I think that's right. And I have not personally spoken to anyone who's told me that they have any safety concerns, although I know that that is a contention that the district has made and, and what partly why they're moving the date up, that they've said people have approached them and, and called in to say that they don't feel safe in the park. They don't feel safe, right, walking through the park, taking lunch in the park. The last couple of times I was out there, for what it's worth, I did see people who appear to be office workers, like taking a smoke break in McPherson Square or having a snack in McPherson Square. So it does seem that there are folks who are still sitting on benches and hanging out. But absolutely, it, it for sure changes the dynamic of what the park is, who can be there, how much space they can take up and what it can be used for. What are you hearing from the, the folks who have been staying there? Do they want to leave? Do they want to be in shelter? Do they trust the city to keep them safe? Yeah, when you're talking to people who are living in tents, by and large, these are folks who do not trust systems, right? They do not trust governments generally. Most of the time they're living on the street because they don't want to be in shelter. It's not that they don't know that there are shelters available to them. It's that they've chosen not to be there. The reasons for that vary. A lot of homeless advocates try to sum it up by saying it's like the three or four P's, right? It's usually um, property. So people who have a lot of items that they can't bring with them. Pets. Sometimes if you have a pet, you can't bring the pet with you into a shelter. Or partners. If you're um, you know, with an opposite sex partner, they sometimes can't come with you into shelter. If it's an all men, all women's adult shelter. Or now the last P is pandemic. There's still a lot of concern from people about COVID and about living in congregate settings. Like these folks have heard the horror stories about people getting sick, um, about bad things happening in shelters. And so the reason they're on the street is because they do not want to go and live in a shelter. That said, there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear about what does it mean that this new date has come up? What does it mean that now there are more government workers with clipboards walking around the park? I think a lot of them do want help, but there is a level of mistrust. And some of that comes from the fact that they've come from other parks in some cases where they've gotten pushed out before or they've had people uh, make overtures to them before saying, you know, we'll help you if you give us your name and you give us your information. And then that help maybe never materialized, right? Wait, so so there's this also this sort of confounding situation where, if I understand it correctly, the, the annual census or the headcount they do is actually down, but the visibility of homeless people is way up. There's various political actors here. What do people want from the city government? I saw that Robert White, the former mayoral candidate, DC council member, is very, very critical of this as sort of inhumane. After reading all the reports and news articles about McPherson Square, I wanted to come out myself, talk to people, uh, see what's happening, see what they're experiencing. People do not believe that the government or these organizations are here to help. So of course, they are not eager to sign up on another list. These folks need to believe that we're actually going to show up and help. They are ready for housing. They are begging for housing and saying they don't know what's going to happen if they don't have housing when this closes. And there's other people who said, like, you guys are defending the spectacle of people sleeping in the streets. That's not a good look. Can you sort of break down the politics for us, how people feel, how people should feel? I can't tell people how to feel, but... Um, you can tell us. <laughs> I, I think that... That's exactly right. There are these very polarizing positions people tend to fall into when we're talking about homelessness, but also when we're talking about, right, this visible homelessness, the encampment issue. Homelessness in the district is down. It has been precipitously falling for the last several years, which is 
uh, counter to national trends. Nationally, homelessness is up. So the fact that there are more encampments, as you mentioned, really is sort of an interesting wrinkle to all of this. I did a piece last year or a couple of years ago, too, that connected the dots between some of the mutual aid efforts that came out of the pandemic, right? Like you had all these organizations that were collecting items and connecting people with things that they needed, like tents and sleeping bags. So it actually helped them uh, weather the elements and stay outside. So that is part of the pandemic response too. And and obviously these folks were doing um, what they thought was best, what they thought they needed to do to help people. It wasn't like they were saying, great, we love that you're sleeping outside, but it has created this effect where now you have all these tents all over the district that I don't think a lot of people remember seeing pre-2020. I think the big question on everyone's mind is like, obviously, this deadline is now under a week away. Where will these people be moved to? Are they going to be moved to actual physical shelters where there's food and heat and warmth and something between them and the elements? Or do they just get moved to like another tent city or another park? Where do they go? Yeah, the reality is you you can't force someone to go into shelter. You can't make them do something they don't want to do. And a lot of these folks do not want to move into a shelter. What the city can do and has been trying to do, from what I hear, is enroll people into various voucher programs or various housing programs. Once they are approved and like on a list for a voucher, what the district can do is put them in a hotel room until they can get a housing placement. That is more appealing for some folks than a shelter. But again, there's all these other complicating factors of like, maybe they have a dog. Maybe they've got a ton of stuff that a a motel or a hotel is not going to allow them to bring in there. Um, So you still run into some of these complications. The other problem is the rollout of vouchers in the city has been very, very slow. It is frustrating for a lot of officials because There are these vouchers that are fully funded that they could hand out and they have been having a very hard time getting them out the door into the hands of folks like the people we see in McPherson Square. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own, The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on-site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one- and two-bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearboratacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A dot com. All right. So I need to move on to a sort of less uh, fraught issue, but maybe not less fraught. In fact, I think one of the one of the nice things I'm sure Marissa will agree with this about doing local news is you sometimes don't have to deal with these incredibly stupid issues that seem to hijack American politics from time to time. And one of these stupid issues the other week was the alleged war on gas stoves. They're coming for your gas stove. And then uh, the D.C. Council has a bill that is uh, it is not coming for your gas stove, just to be clear. But there is a bill before the council that's been sponsored by a majority of members that would throw the city government's resources and uh, pass along resources into uh, helping uh, lower income people or non-rich people 
convert from gas to electric and induction. The idea is that uh, gas stoves uh, can, in a poorly ventilated house, can create a dangerous uh, or sort of less healthy internal environment. They're not great for the environment in general. So this bill has been introduced. I assume that once uh, someone in Congress gets wind of it, there will be like the standard grandstanding and stopping the war on uh, gas stoves, et cetera. The thing that like occurs to me with this, I'm not like a budget expert or anything, but you know, Marissa, you've been talking about there's a shortage of caseworkers to deal with like homeless people. So we hear that at the same time as, but we're going to find the scratch to help people get a new stove and replace the kind of stove that you know may not be ideal, but is like in common use everywhere, including my home. What do we make of this? Like, is are we setting ourselves up for a crazy culture war cycle or what? I just wonder when gas stoves became this third rail political issue, it feels like it came out of nowhere. You know, like I've grown up with gas stoves in my house. Uh, I grew up in an apartment with a gas stove. It kind of took me off guard. But yeah, I think D.C. often when we have these bills go through council, um, does end up in the culture wars a little bit. <laughs> I think that might be what we're, as you rightly point out, in, li- in line for, especially if Congress gets wind of it. But listen, like, here's the, the bigger thing. Like, it gets, we're in the situation now where, like, elected officials and reporters and whatever are arguing, like, the merits of um, of gas versus electric. Like, you know, it's what's better for a restaurant. How do you get the best char on your meat and stuff? And, like, leaving aside the public health merits or demerits of, of gas stoves, this is, like, precisely the way a... Uh, an issue heads from like logical policy proposal to stupidville. Am I wrong though about like the the sense of trade-off that money that is being spent on it on this kind of program might otherwise be spent on making it easier to deal with McPherson Square? Uh, I don't think the budget is quite that simple. I think if it was, <laughs> uh, DC could just slot money over for a lot of things, right? I think if you're playing the game of like, well, what about this? Um, you could do mm-hmm. that all day, right? There are, yes, homeless folks. There are also people who are living through the winter with um, not enough heat in their homes. Like, forget stoves. Like, they don't have enough heat from their furnaces. So, like, I think you could sort of play that game in any direction. That said, you know, I think generally programs to make life healthier and easier for people who aren't the richest in the city um, are good, right, as a rule. (laughs) Yeah, and this is also in line with stuff that Mayor Bowser has already done. There was legislation that also banned most natural gas use in new buildings. That was signed by Bowser in like July. So like there is this move to try to make DC like a more climate conscious city. So like obviously the argument is going to be like, well, could this money be used for this or for something else that actually like matters in the grander scheme of things, I guess. Yeah, I think for folks, stoves are just really personal, which it I never would have thought, uh, you know, a few months ago, if someone was like, how do you feel about your stove? I'd be like, cool. Um, <laughs> but, hey, man, this is America in 2023. Everything is really I, personal. Yeah, exactly. It is. It is. And it just feels like, you know, big government reaching into your kitchen in some ways. Right. Um, and I think it's really lighting people up because of that. So to speak. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Great resist. dad joke. <laughs> Terrible dad joke. Both. It's both. So speaking of things that are very personal, um, Julia, why don't you tell us where to cry? So I don't know about you all, but the last couple of years have been very, very hard. And emotional release is something that I think people have had to 
find a way to deal with over the last couple of years more than ever before. Uh, it's why I started therapy. So obviously, like crying in your therapist's office, I know it's kind of like cliche, but that is place number one. But I've Any found for jerk people- can cry in their <laughs> in their therapist's office. You turn into CityCast DC in order to find out cool places to cry. We agree. So some of the cooler places to cry or just general places to cry that I've found that have been weirdly liberating. Who among us has not cried on a metro train? Like, come on. Who among us has not been in a seat and just broken down and been like, ugh, everything around me sucks. I just need to let it out on the metro. That's place number one. I think most DC residents have done that or have had that experience. My personal favorite place to cry, and there's something about being near a big body of water that feels very meta to me, crying near like Rock Creek Park or the Potomac River or somewhere where like your tears become part of the environment. Like I feel there's something about that that is very, very liberating. Marissa, got any places that you could pitch to people for places to cry to? I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> um, I I agree. Love Rock Creek Park. Um, I You know, though a lot of people cry on the Metro, I would say it's not an ideal mm. place to cry, right? Like it's full of other people, you know, people with cell phones can record you at any moment. I don't know. It doesn't feel very safe to me. <laughs> it, it is probably a good technique if you're trying to avoid having someone take the empty seat next to you. You know, you would think that, Michael, but let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I personally love being at places where people are distracted by looking at other beautiful things. So like the Tidal Basin or like Ooh. near the monuments or the mall, like people are distracted. They're looking around. They don't care about you. You can just sit down, have a little cry. It's a great time. And then, you know, personally, and this is not, I'm sorry, accessible to the public, but the roof on top of the Washington Post building. Ooh, that is a fabulous place to cry. It's my personal favorite place to cry. I hope my editors are not listening to this. <laughs> I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out the sort of classic kind of built for the purpose is the the memorial to Clover Adams in uh, Rookery Church Cemetery. It's a uh, a sculpture by St. Gaudens for the late wife of Henry Adams. It's kind of surrounded by trees. It is a, a sculpture of desolation, of sorrow. It's uh, incredibly powerful, sad, and it has little benches around it that you can sit on and be alone. I think there's a lot of really beautiful like memorials and, and sort of solemn spaces in the district that have that effect for folks, yeah. Well, all right, on that happy note. <laughs> I hope everyone cries well this week. Marissa Lang, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy crying. Um, <laughs> and Julia, it's awesome, as always, to have you here. Thanks again, Mike. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, tell someone who has strong feelings about their stove. We'll be back on Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.